This talk was recorded by Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church, as a part of the 2021 Summer Training Project. For more information on Summer Training Project or Canvas Outreach Minneapolis, visit cominneapolis.org. My name is Tim. Uh, I work with Camp Outreach Minneapolis. I have the distinct, distinct, distinguished? Either way, it was a pleasure working with <laughs> Kayla Tom back in the, the glory days, now Kayla Manning. Um, Kayla's on staff. For you guys who don't know, which is sad. I just need to stay right here. Um, so, yeah, anyways, Kayla and I go way back to the glory days. Um, Really fun to have you Charleston folks here. Did a great job on, on your lip syncing, too. I just, I can tell Kayla's really having an impact in Charleston. <laughs> um, she was always doing that kind of stuff. We used to make good pancakes for Flapjack Fridays and all, the, all that good stuff, yeah. Anyways, um, and one other, one other thing, one other just project anecdote. I always share this when I speak at a project. W when I was a team leader, um, I ended up marrying my team leader partner, I did it after I was a team leader, but I just, I just want to insert that so that particularly you team leaders in the room just can have an awkward moment of just, now you go there mentally and think about that, all right? And some of you are like, oh, no, never. First off, that's rude. And second off, that's exactly how my wife felt about me. Um, big old Tim. Anyways, all right, we got it. All right, yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about God's why and yours. So um, in our generation, if I'm allowed to put myself in your guys' generation, in our generations, um, I think, you know, I don't even know how many of you guys know uh, the book called Start With Why. That's kind of popular, but it, the, many of you don't know the book, but it, the idea has become popularized. It's like when, you're, when you, you want to think about your purpose and your vision behind what you're doing. So particularly in life, like maybe you might hear people talk about their, their mother who is sick is their why, and that, that drives them. Or maybe um, a certain relationship, a certain experience, a certain... Um, thing that breaks their heart. And um, I just want to talk a little bit about why um, our culture, like I think we're, we're all searching for a life of purpose and meaning. Um, I think we're being fed lots and lots of opportunities that to distract ourselves from those deep longings by just scrolling through Netflix and social media and all that kind of stuff. But um, I think all of us really want it. And then we, we see it in like things like the popularity of things like the Enneagram. And, you know, we, we want to understand ourselves. We want to understand our design, what we're made for. And what I just want to talk a little bit about is how, for the Christian, you have to understand who God is and what he's doing in the world in order to really understand how you were made and what your design is, how, how you can have a life of fulfillment and meaning. And it's not, I'm going to argue, primarily in a life of comfort and ease, actually a life of, of suffering and trial and pain, but toward the end, joining Jesus on the road of Calvary to um, a life of, of suffering but meaning with him. So um, kind of my two goals are to convince you that God is on a mission, meaning everything he's doing in the world is toward a specific end. Okay, so he's doing a lot of different things, but all of them, I want to say, have a specific end. And then second, I just want to talk a little bit about our call to, to join in that, to, to follow God in 
it, to follow God is to follow him into that mission. There's, there's no such thing as a life of following Jesus in isolation from what he's doing. So if we go to the first slide, I said, um, kind of, I, I just want to do a quick survey of, a, of kind of from Genesis to Revelation, the whole Bible in a handful, in a, just a few minutes, and I want to just kind of make the argument that um, God is on a, a mission to glorify himself by redeeming and rescuing a people comprising of every tribe, nation, and tongue to glorify, know, and walk with him in this life and for all of eternity. And to follow Jesus uh, is to follow him into that mission. To attempt to follow Jesus in isolation from that mission is to not truly follow him. And I think our culture, especially, you know, our Christian subculture has, in the American context, has, I think, given us a fabricated version of being able to identify with Jesus in such a way that you af you're afforded certain benefits that come with, with following Jesus, like maybe feeling relieved over the absolution of your sin, you know, forgiveness, um, and maybe access to certain, uh, to community, things like that. But we often, I think, fail to recognize that the the thrust of the the new testament the thrust of what jesus is the discipleship he's laying out is a life of self-denial and a life of challenge but again of 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 deep meaning and deep hope um both f now and for all of eternity so um wherever you find yourself now as we kind of go starting in genesis wherever you find yourself um god has one end he's working toward and we're going to talk a little bit about that so maybe i'll just pray really quick i should probably do that uh, Lord, I pray that you would work despite um, me and my uh, various incompetencies. I pray that you would speak now and guide us and um, give us soft hearts that would be receptive. I pray that you'd loosen our grips of, on, on things of this world that we're so tempted to cling to. Lord, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a, a career path or a vision for what our family or, or future would look like. God, give us loose hands recognizing that um, you have purchased us and our lives are no longer our own. We're called to glorify you with our body, not to live for ourselves. Second Corinthians, you say, um, for the love of Christ controls us. For you've, we have concluded this, that one has died so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And I pray you'd give us the grace to not live for ourselves, to not be controlled by comfort or love of money, but to be controlled by the love of you and to, to live for you. So give us that grace, uh, I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. All right. So, taking it all the way back to Genesis, all right? Basically, like I said, this is going to be quick. This part is going to be quick because we've got to cover the whole Bible, and it's kind of long, and we don't have a ton of time. But for, depending, you know, I know we probably have varying degrees of familiarity here. Um, so, Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, that's where the world is created, and it, it lays out how God created men and women in his image to walk with him. And actually, that was the original model of what, what the mission of God is now fulfilling. It was to for men and women to multiply and be fruitful and fill the earth with worshipers of God. That's still our task today through the Great Commission. Um, that's, it's, we're kind of going at it again after it didn't go well with Adam and Eve. So um, Genesis 3, we have the fall, and there's kind of um, pictures of the world's brokenness and kind of plunge into darkness over the, the coming years. But God is faithful all, all the way through. And in Genesis 12, he shows that he's still committed to his people. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, who would become Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to that 
to the land that I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So there's three things I just want to highlight right there. One, he's being called to leave what he knows, his family, his comfort, his, his, presumably his wealth, access to, to work. Um, second, he's being promised that he's going to be blessed by God. And that blessing is not meant to end at Abraham, Abram. It's meant to, he, he's being blessed to be a blessing. And that same thing, that's one of going to be the themes tonight, is, is that the various blessings that we experience in, in our context and through Jesus are, are not meant to end at us, but are meant to be, we're, we're conduits so that the nations can continue to, to be blessed. And then third, just that, that nation's peace. So from the beginning, um, it's not like there's a few pastors who are, have popularized missions or, um, you know, d- d- this isn't something that, you know, even, even right now, like, like um, ethnic harmony um, in, in our, is, is something that's being talked about more and more. It's like, our God, ha- this isn't something that we're following a cultural trend. Like, this is the, the very heart of who God is, is that he would gather a family of every tribe, every nation, every people, every language to be a part, to represent the diversity of who he is, to represent um, the, the, the family that he's gathering from the nation. So we see that all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis 11, it's actually important to note that we have the Tower of Babel. That's the first time we actually see, um, quote-unquote, nations, okay? There's the Tower of Babel. They build a tower to, um, to walk up toward God, and uh, try to, they're trying to build a tower that, so they can climb up and be as, as high as God is in the heavens. And God confuses their languages and scatters them. So in Genesis 11, nations are established through the Tower of Babel. In Genesis 12, the pursuit begins immediately, um, right away. And that, that is, that is the, the heart of our God. Even though we're spread out, even though there's various divisions, that all would gather and, and play our role in representing and image-bearing him and, and being a part of his family. So next slide, we see the, the same thing. The, the promise is reaffirmed after some different challenges. Um, Genesis 22. Um, again, I'm trying to go quick, but Abraham has been promised offspring, but he's old. Him and his wife are old, and they're, he's feeling like he's, he's starting to look for a, another heir to his family that maybe God's going to promise it through like someone in his household. He goes on to um, have a, a child out of wedlock to, you know, with, with hopes of, of fulfilling the promise, but, but God is reaffirming all along that um, he will, he will uh, make a, a multitude through his seed. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So, the blessing of the nations is coming through God's instrument in, in Abraham. Just want to keep highlighting that theme. Okay, so again, for the sake of time, we're just going to kind of, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show one other uh, Old Testament passage here in Habakkuk. Um, this is, I would say, one of the big themes of the Old Testament is, is we're hastening the day when 
the, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of, of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, you know, th- th- that is exactly what's still upon us right now. So we're, it, I think it's helpful when we talk about missions to talk, some of you might be familiar with terms like the 1040 window or unreached people groups, or these are p- places in the world where there's, there's little to no access to the gospel. Right today, if every single Christian on the planet shared the gospel with every single non-Christian they knew, two billion people wouldn't even just hear the gospel, let alone have a chance to, to receive it. So do you hear that? So, so if every believer all over the planet shared the gospel with every single non-believer that they, they know, two billion people would not hear the gospel, okay? So it's really helpful for us to talk about, um, you know, places in the world and people groups where there, there are, are great needs and, and we want to figure out ways that we as a church can press in and advance, advance the gospel to those contexts. And yet at the end of the day, the goal is not ultimately that, um, or we have developed people group language, missiologists have. That's, that's not something we see per se in the Bible. It comes from the idea of Pantata, the, the nations. Um, but anyways, the point I'm trying to make is just that um, the goal is that the, the, the earth will be covered with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. So if you're in Charleston or Minneapolis or Bangkok or fill-in-the-blank place, um, wherever you find yourself, you're called to, to participate. in. It, it, I don't know about Charleston because I haven't been there in a number of years now, but I know that the Twin Cities, there's more Christians there than there are in many countries, but the, the, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord does not cover the Twin Cities as the waters cover the sea. We, we know that. And so this isn't something where some of us are called to participate in what I'm talking about um, because they're going to go to a place where there's hardly any Christians. The reality is that all of us are called to participate in what God's doing to gather the nations. For some of us, that's going to mean leaving our family and learning new languages and raising our kids in maybe more dangerous places. Um, but for all of us, it's going to be called. It's it's going to be a life of of living sacrificially. So, anyways, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, the the last one. So just w- little spoiler alert, particularly if you have not read all the Bible yet. Um, but um, I won't do all of Revelation. So there's still a couple of good nuggets in there. Um, this is a vision that John is receiving at the end of time when. Um, God has established his, his multi-ethnic kingdom, his family among the nations um, in the new kingdom. And he says, And after this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and honor, uh, sorry, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. So we see all the way at the beginning in Genesis, God promises this exact event, and now he's given us the other, the other half, that he, he is assuring us that this is what he is working toward. Like I said, wherever we, you find yourself in the Bible, you can ask the question, and, and we find ourselves in the Bible. We're like kind of right after Acts, you know? It, it doesn't feel that way, um, but in the timeline of Scripture, 
we exist right after, you know, after Acts, where um, in the in this stage after the apostles, but before Jesus returns again. And so, at any point, God's people find themselves in. You can be asking the question: What stories you're reading, and and what story, what quote unquote story you're reading is wh- where you are in your life right now is. How is God using his people in this story or in my life to bring about, uh, be a conduit for the nations to be blessed, okay? So the reality is that if we are living a life that is not actively participating in being a conduit uh, so that the nations can know God, then that should be a cause for concern for us because all of a sudden we find ourselves not living for what God has made clear he's actively doing right now. Now, does that mean that all of us need to go and move to another country? It might, but that's not what I'm arguing for, but we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that. Um, so, yeah, th- that is what God's doing in the world, and so I n- now I just want to transition a little bit and think about what does that mean for us, okay? So if you look at this, this next slide, I'm going to look at two other passages here um, from the Gospel of Mark. Um, oh, okay, I guess I missed that part here. A salvation, okay, a salvation that ends with you receiving the blessing of God but not responding by blessing others is not a biblical salvation, right? So, so that's important to think about because, um, again, I think our culture has laid out a path for us to when we kind of bank our salvation and, and life as a Christian on a one-time event of maybe we prayed a prayer or were baptized or did a certain you know, went to a camp or project or whatever it may be. Um, but the reality is, it doesn't matter where, where we heard this from. I went to a, you know, a more conservative Bible school, Bethel, some of the students from home, where my royal's at. Yeah. Um, there you go. Um, so, um, all right, got to recover from that. Um, I'm also still getting little whiffs of, of sunscreen every few minutes here. Um, so I'm glad I haven't, I haven't uh, that was good, that was good. Um, so anyways, yeah, it, um, I, the point I was making was uh, it, a biblical salvation does not stop at where we are, okay? Second Corinthians 8, Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Become rich. The the stories we see in scripture and then in church history, particularly as you study the lives of, of um, great Christians and missionaries, is largely these, these stories that, that we admire where someone was in, an, uh, in, a, in a place of power or privilege or access to, to wealth or comfort or ease, and they gladly recognized that that blessing was not... Um, primarily for them. They, they're not living for this kingdom. They're not leveraging their life on earth for all the comfort they can get out of it, all the ease they can get out of it, all the pleasures, all the bucket list items, but rather abstaining from those things, not to please God, not to impress people, but in recognition that there is a day coming when the greatest vacations you can take, the fill-in-the-blank pleasures of this world that, that are being offered to us will just be just uncomparable to, to the joy we'll have when we stand um, in, the, in the new new kingdom with our Lord. And so, so we see that recognizing. So if we go to Mark 11 here, that's the next slide. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple. This is a real famous story about Jesus. I feel like this is one of the most uh, famous stories about Jesus. 
And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be, a, shall be called a prayer for all the nations. He's quoting Psalms. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And when the evening came, they went out of the city. So I feel like I hear that passage quoted a lot, and especially right now in our, in our context, kind of, uh, it's, a, it's a, good, a great story of Jesus kind of speaking to power and um, maybe abolishing an uh, unhealthy system or situation. Uh, but I also really want to just highlight, because uh, I think all of us need to, to meditate on this, the reason he's upset is because his people have become inward focused. Okay? So he's saying this is meant to be a place not of exclusion, but inclusion, where the nations that in this context were not allowed, uh, not allowed inside, they were kind of in the outer courts, he was saying, no, 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 you're missing this. The, this temple is meant to be one in which the nations gather. It's, it's, it's where they come to know me. But his people have become focused on wealth and power and comfort and the temptations in their context, which, although they look different, are largely some of the main temptations in our context. So he, is, he comes in and overturns these tables. And I just think as we, like, if I am going to quote this, I want to consider my life and consider would Jesus come to the, because now this temple has been, demolished, right? And now my body is the temple of, of the Holy Spirit. My body is the place. So would Jesus come to Tim and, and put your name in there and think about this. Would Jesus come to me and would he dine in my courts, in the, the courts of my temple? Would he be pleased because I'm living a life that's outward focused? I'm not pursuing power. I'm not pursuing wealth. I'm not pursuing ease and comfort. Um, I am living a life that is others-oriented, that, again, I'm, I'm remembering the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, he became poor, that I might become rich. And so now I res- am I responding in the same way? And rather than embracing maybe the rights I might have or the freedoms I might have to leverage them for, for myself and my advancement, my career, um, am I willing, willingly abstaining from those things so that I can be a conduit so that the nations can come to know me? Or would he overturn the tables of my life? Because I... I Speak like I know him with my lips, but my heart is far from him. That's one of the big condemnations throughout the Old Testament. Um, and Jesus continues that with the Pharisees. And so um, I just, I want to challenge us to think about that, not to feel guilty, not to feel like you need to impress God, but, but to recognize that um, we do, if you're in this room, we all have a lot of different stories and contexts and backgrounds. And, and so I don't know everyone's story, but I know that if you are in college in the United States of America, you are in a class of your own in the world. You're being more educated and more equipped to gain access to, to wealth and power and career and different, th- different opportunities than well over 90% of the world, okay? So we are tremendously blessed in our context. And now as I share about how there are entire cities the size of, or, or sorry, there are entire people groups inside the size of the Twin Cities or Charleston, where there are zero Christians, 
where, where the glory of the Lord is so far from covering um, the, these contexts as the waters cover the sea. Um, I, I want us to consider, like Josiah said, that, that some of us are maybe supposed to stay in Charleston or Minneapolis or your hometown or whatever for the rest of your lives. And, and that would be, there, you, you can walk in obedience as a janitor in Iowa or a English teacher in Cambodia. Um, the goal is obedience. The goal is, is not uh, just to get to a geographical place or something. But I do, I do just have to admit that I'm a little suspect of how um, the places that are the least reached in the world are also the most difficult, the least comfortable, um, the hardest places to, to live in, the places with the least economic advantage, the places where um, it's just there's the most pollution and dirtiness. And, and it's just, I have, to, I have to wonder, is there a correlation that um, so many of us are staying in, in what is largely the most comfortable uh, or among the most comfortable countries on the planet? Um, is there a correlation to our love for comfort? Or um, there might not be, again, that, that uh, God calls his people to, in obedience to different places. Um, and I'm going to tell a story, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with a story from Jesus about that. But um, I, I, wanna, I do want to push and, and have us consider, not to shame and not to guilt, but because in, in recognition that um, the, the lives that we look up to um, so often are lives that have been purchased through pain and sacrifice and discomfort and abstaining from rights and abstaining from ease and choosing, making hard decisions and walking by faith. Um, and I think we want to, to live, to, we want the fruit of lives like that so often, but, you know, we want to maybe be like Paul, you know? Um, but we don't want to get 39 lashes and shipwrecks and snake bites and, um, you know, the, the various trials that, that he faced. Um, and I think our culture has so trained us in a, a narrative of pursuing comfort and ease and avoiding discomfort and avoiding anything hard that we're actually missing out on deep opportunities to know Jesus intimately because that's primarily what, what he works through. The, na- the New Testament lays out that it's, it is um, through our discomforts, it's through fiery trials that the Lord, Lord meets us. So go to the next slide. This is a long one. Um, but it's worth it. And, w- and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out loud with a voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, uh, um, Sorry, I got lost there. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly do not, uh, not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs and let us enter them. He gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and, and told it in the city. Um, 
and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, and they were afraid. Uh, demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what happened to the demon-possessed man and the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your family and friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So Jesus, if you are going to follow Jesus, John 20, 21, it says, as the Father, Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you into the world. To follow Jesus is to live as a sent one. The question comes down to where are you sent, okay? And there are times where Jesus is going to send you right to your zip code. But my plea is that we would let what is guiding us in just this situation to, to be, because we're, we're called to stay in this context, to tell our family and our friends and our, our context um, what, what the, of the marvelous works that, that God has done in our lives. And so too often I see um, students think that, you know, God will maybe call me um, to, to the nations to be a missionary if I, you know, like if he might do that, he might like, give me a dream or something like that. And if that comes about, then I'll, um, I'll hear him out and I'll do that. Um, but we don't operate that way in other, in other things, you know. Um, I know a couple of you are thinking about you're getting a job here in the Twin Cities. You're, you're not waiting and hoping someone, you know, God says to you like, hey, you need to apply for this job in this situation. It's like, no, you're, you're pursuing based on the facts that you know and what, you, what you're aware of, what you're going to pursue and what you're going to consider. Um, and I, I think sometimes we over-spiritualize the idea of, of calling. There's going to be times where Jesus says, go, go home to your family, um, stay locally. Um, and that, that is okay to be, to be done in obedience. But, but my hope is that it would be just like Josiah did not just decide he's going to go to Cambodia. It was, he, he put his life on the table and he sought the Lord, prayer and fasting and, and seeking God's wisdom. And the Lord is, is leading Josiah to Cambodia, which is exciting. But it would be just as exciting from my perspective if the Lord was leading Josiah to St. Cloud or Minneapolis or whatever, if it was the Lord that was leading him because through that same process, he had sought the Lord and prayed and fasted and sought guidance. And it wasn't, the decision was, wasn't being based on where he could make the most money or what language he spoke or where he would have access to the family cabin or fill in the, the blank thing that, that we might be tempted toward. It was, it was based on the mission of God. And again, there are, there are a, a thousand needs in every city that, you're, you're, that, that we're collectively from. And we should consider those. And we really should. And at the same time, um, I also want us to consider, uh, there's another quote here, there's a quote, if you go to the next um, William Borden was a student at Yale in, I think, 1898 or so. Um, and he, uh, first I'll just read this quote. It says, if, if ten men are carrying a log, nine of them on the little end, and one at the heavy end, and you want to help, which end will you lift on? And so it's just kind of the idea that in light of the fact that the primary, the quantity-wise, um, 
like I said, of those two billion people who are not going to hear about the gospel, those are going to be largely outside the United States. They're going to be in Southeast Asia. They're going to be in the Arab world. They're going to be in East Asia, um, Russia, uh, South America, Africa. They're, they're going to be outside of our context, okay? So if we're coming in a fresh way and we're recognizing that God has called us to participate in what he's doing to, to fill the earth with worshipers of him, and we know that uh, there's a lot of work to be done here, and yet um, it's just there, there, is a, there are more churches probably maybe in our, um, some of our cities than there are just believers in, in many countries. And so um, we, we want to come to the table and consider, put our life on it. Sometimes something we've, we use or talk about in CO is, you know, are you giving, giving the Lord, are you coming to the Lord with a, a blank canvas or a coloring book? Where coloring book, it's like, God, you can do anything with my life, but he has to stay inside the lines. You know, as long as it is, I get to be a bio, biology major and I get to marry someone with blonde hair and I get to whatever, make 80 grand a year or something like that, you know. But, but you can do anything you want, God, outside of that, you know. Or are you coming to him in recognition that your life is not your own? To follow Jesus is to, to die to, to give up your life, to give up your ambitions, to give up your dreams, your goals. And some of you might not have heard that before, but that's what, that's what I'm, I'm saying. I, what I see is, is, is it is abandoning all of our aspirations for our life because we're, we're now dying. John 12, 24, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. The, in the kingdom of God, life and meaning and purpose it comes through personal death, self-denial. But on the other end of that self-denial is resurrection. And, and that's what we see in the life of Jesus, and that's what we see um, him calling to continue in our lives. So um, go back one. The, I'll just close with um, one more quote from, uh, oh, William Borden, actually, I should say. He, uh, the Uyghur people in China, they've been in the news in the last, uh, in recent years. Raise your hand if you've heard of the Uyghur people in China. Yeah, it's great. Um, if you haven't, I really encourage you to Google and look into it. It is an active genocide happening in our day. And it's sad that so many of us, uh, that just the way the news is covered and stuff, it's a lot of people don't even know about it. Um, it is a Muslim people in northwest China. And William Borden actually, you know, over 100 years ago, learned about these people, and he wanted to go and take the gospel to them. And so as a student at Yale, he, his family um, was... He, he was a millionaire at 18 because his family, they were minors and they had just loads of money. And for his 18th birthday, they gave him, I don't know, like millions of dollars and a trip around the world. And he goes around the world and while he's around the world, he, um, his parents thought that he had, he had actually been learning. He was in college before 18, I think, because maybe that's how things were in that time and he was smart or something. But So he had been exposed to gospel preaching through being at Yale. And his parents thought, go experience the world, live it up. This will kind of get you to maybe forget about some of that stuff. And so he goes, but the more he goes, he sees just perishing people around the world with, with little to no access to the gospel, but also sees God moving in some places where God is active. And, and so it just increases his heart for what God's doing, and he wants to be a part of it. So he goes on to, to his family's chagrin, which the call to follow Jesus, and especially the call to follow Jesus today and in hard places, is often going to be to the disappointment of our family. It's going to be to the, the, the confusion of parents or friends or professors who have seen, helped you work hard toward a, uh, a well-earned degree or different things like that. 
And this was a man who had, um, you know, he had access to, to the palaces of his day, but he decides to go. He has to go to Egypt first because he wants to learn Arabic before he, uh, so that he, he's just more prepared to enter into that context. Um, about three or four weeks after arriving in, arriving in Egypt, um, he can contracts spinal meningitis and he dies a few days later. Um, I believe he was 25 or 28, I can't remember. Um, but uh, on his tombstone is written a life that only makes sense if Jesus is risen from the dead. The world would look at his story as a tragedy, a waste of a life. And if you're working in the world's economy, that was a waste of a life. Because again, he was brilliant. There's a lot he could have done. There's a lot of money he could have made. There's a lot of luxury he could have enjoyed at that you know, million dollars at 18. There's a lot. He could have leveraged this world for the pleasures that, that it offers us. That is a wasted life if your hope is in this life, if your hope is in squeezing this world out for all you can get out of it. But he could write no regrets, some of his last words in his journal, just before dying, because he wasn't living in this world's economy. And I just want to beg us tonight to not buy into the lie of this world's economy, to not, to not think that you need to follow whatever the normal career path of your major is, that, that maybe you're an engineer, okay? That that's usually leads to a well-paying job. Moving to a, a poor, moving to, you know, maybe a, a difficult village in India would look pretty dumb after spending all this time investing in that degree. But we're not living for what this world has to offer. We're not hoping in if we missed out on something in this world. We're walking into the, the new heavens and the new earth with the one who created all of this world's pleasures. I, I promise you that he didn't expend all of his great creation on this world and then heaven is going to be dull. He promises us that this is a, a shadow of what we can have. And the culture around you, even a lot of us, our family, our friends, our social media feeds are, are pleading with us to ignore what I'm saying and to pursue a life of ease and comfort. I'm not primarily concerned that most of people, if you're involved with CEO, uh, this may be a temptation for some, and I know that, and that's okay, but like, I'm not primarily concerned that most of our, our graduates are going to graduate, and like day after graduation, they just start having sex with, you know, a new person every night, and living, you know, dealing drugs, and whatever, like kind of just doing the, the overtly worldly lifestyle. I am much more concerned with you being lulled to sleep in a life of a Christianized version of an American life that is hedonistic. It's pursuing your pleasure, doing so in a Christianized way. It's, it's relishing comfort and safety and ease. Not, why would you even... There's, there's places in the world that I know a lot of Christians who just wouldn't even consider the idea of going. I, I think that has to be reflective of, of a addiction to comfort or an unhealthy relationship with safety. Because Jesus says in, in Luke 9 that um, we deny ourselves daily. We take up our cross. We, we don't, if we want to gain our lives, then we need to be willing to lose them. And that's going to be a, a daily process of self-sacrifice and saying no to this world and yes to Jesus. 
and it's going to be a life, it's going to be kind of a longer term one where we're making hard decisions. All right, I'm over my time. We do have some discussion questions, but um, yeah, why don't I just pray, Lord, I pray, I really do pray that no one would come away from this feeling guilt or, or shame. The, the goal, you're not calling us to a hard life to impress you or to pr- prove our love to you or to um, show that we're strong and we can handle hard things or anything like that. You call us, you come to you all who labor and are heavy laden. We, we can be broken and burdened and have our lives used mightily of you. And yet, Lord, it, it does take coming to you in death daily, abstaining from our love of comfort, abstaining from our desires, abstaining from the temptations of this world that are so strong and so normalized and just, just put in front of us all day, every day. But I do pray that for the sake of your glory going to the ends of the earth, you would give us all a fresh vision to, to give you a blank canvas with our lives to say, okay, my life is not my own. Lord, I'm open to you doing anything that you want with my life. And maybe that's gonna be staying within a square mile of my house for the rest of my life and laboring for your kingdom and living counterculturally, sacrificially, so that the gospel is advancing and telling people in that context about you. And maybe, and I hope for many of us, that's gonna be laughing at Satan's devices and saying no to the comforts of, of, of America and the temptations that are here and seeking, like so many of your people have throughout history, it's like William Borden and others, seeking a better country that we know we're not gonna find on this side of the kingdom. So until then, we'll leverage all that we have for you. So help us do that wherever we are. Um, I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the 2021 Summer Training Project hosted by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the College Ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church. Please feel free to share this message with others, but please don't charge, edit, or alter the content in any way without the written permission of Campus Outreach Minneapolis.